Well, good morning. It's, it really is a blessing for me to be here with you folk. And And have, and have people know me as well as you do. <laughs> but, but it really is. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, just could never get over the fact that the Lord had given him such a great privilege to preach the gospel. You know, he said that, I who am the least of all saints, this grace was given to preach among the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And as the years go by, I'm just beginning to understand a bit more of that privilege. And so for me to come here and, and preach to you is such a great privilege for me for those reasons. And, and I'm thankful. And so this morning, I'd like, like us to consider... Uh, a portion of scripture that I, I think is, is one of the most Christ-like narratives that we find in the Old Testament. And it's, it's a portion that's saturated with the gospel. It's the story of the woman, the widow, and Zarephath. And I think you probably all know it. I'm sure you all know it. And I've preached from this portion many times, and it's always been such a rich blessing to me. And so I'd like to draw your attention to this passage this morning. But we'll start in Luke 4. We'll start in Luke 4 first. So go there. You know, in reading these Old Testament scriptures, these events of the Elijah and the widow of Zarephath might, might seem to have little significance. And certainly that would have been the case with the people of Israel. Because this woman wasn't even an Israelite. And as far as they were concerned, that's, that was enough alone. But what, too, did this compare to the mighty signs and wonders that God had, had shown in delivering the people of Israel out of Egypt and, and all the subsequent things that occurred. So to an Israelite, they, in these, these scriptures may have seemed that this was such a small thing, such an insignificant thing. But here in the beginning of Luke, Jesus appears suddenly upon the scene of the nation of Israel, much like Elijah of old, but a greater than Elijah, and he makes specific reference to this widow. I don't know if you've thought about that. He does so at a remarkable time and in a remarkable way at the very beginning of his ministry on earth. So let's begin there, here in, in Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse, verse 14. I made sure that it was Luke. <laughs> <laughs> so beginning there in verse 14, then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And, and 
it's we should note that he's returning after that 40 days and nights being tested in the wilderness by Satan and he in our place as the second Adam triumphed over all those temptations and and that and this is then when we read he returns in the power of the spirit to Galilee and news of him went out through all the surrounding region and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as his custom was he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah and when he had opened the book he found the place where it was written the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and all the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him so powerful were the words of Christ that the entire congregation was transfixed. The living word reading the living word in the power of the spirit given to him without measure. No wonder they were transfixed. Can you imagine? Can you imagine hearing the Christ, the anointed of God, preaching the gospel? And he, 21, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This scripture, who is it speaking of? It's speaking of me coming with this glorious gospel. Here he is, the long expected prophet, David's son and David's Lord, the anointed of God, the Messiah, the promised Savior and Redeemer. These words of I, in Isaiah were his words. And keep going. What did they say then? They said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your own country. Then he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months. And there was a great famine throughout all the land, but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Now, of course, these words of Christ are full of teaching, full of alluding to many things that are of such great importance. But there's no question that he is telling the people of Nazareth that they're living in a land in a time like the time of Elijah, 
They're living in a land of great spiritual drought and famine. And as such, they're perishing and without hope in themselves. As it was in the time of Elijah, this was brought about for what reason? Their rejection of God and of his prophet. Look, look farther down to verse 28 and 29. It's almost hard to it, it is hard to believe because we still don't know our own sinful hearts. Listen. So all those in the synagogue when they heard these things were filled with wrath and they rose up and thrust him out of the city. They led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Nothing has changed, has it, from the time of Elijah until the time of Christ. They're still killing the prophets, and they want, they, they're, they're about to kill the prophet. There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when there was this great famine, but to none of them was Elijah sent. But the foolishness the foolishness and the wickedness of this generation the guilt of this generation is so much greater for what reason? Because in their midst stood the bread of life a never-ending superabundance of life, a feast to satisfy the soul and to give life now and forever. And they despised him. They turned their backs upon him and, as we know, in the end, killed the Prince of Life. But Elijah, let's look at this now. Elijah was sent to a woman of Zarephath, a widow. Jesus makes specific reference to her at this time. Why would he do that? Well, one thing for sure is we know that the whole nation, as it were, can turn away from God, turn away from his righteousness, turn away from his worship, reject his prophets, despise the only way of salvation, but God's purpose to help and save this woman would be accomplished. This is a great story. I, I just delight in this story of this woman, this widow woman. It, it's a simple story of every poor and perishing sinner saved by grace. And if you know the grace of God, you know that this is a story of you. It's a story of me. So turn over to 1 Kings chapter 16 this morning. 1 Kings chapter 16. Let's just refresh our minds of the state of Israel at that time since Christ makes reference to this. Look there in Verse 29 of chapter 16 first. 
And there we read, in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Now, let me just pause there for a minute. Listen to how the word of God describes the depths of wickedness of this king. He considered Jeroboam was a wicked king, an evil king. But how, how did Ahab look at that? This is how the word of God described it. He considered it, that the wickedness of that king, Jeroboam, a trivial thing, a trivial thing. And he, he knew how to do evil. This, this king knew how to do evil. That's what's being communicated. He did more evil than all that went before him. This was the state of the nation of Israel at that time. And then he set up an altar to Baal. In the, uh, set up an altar to Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Now that's quite a statement, isn't it? Quite a statement. This is the time which Elijah entered the scene of the nation of Israel. Then God, through the word of his prophet Elijah, we know brings this drought and famine upon the land. And then, according to the Lord's word to Elijah, he sends him to the brook Cherith, and is fed miraculously by those ravens until the brook in the midst of this terrible drought dries up. And it's not all, uh, and as you know too, as we've been hearing, it's not long after this that Elijah pleads with the Lord against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets, torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. The state, the spiritual decline of that nation was 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 terrible. Was terrible, and but but again, what was the Lord's? What was the divine response? As the word says there in Romans, but what does the re, divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so, then at this present time, there is a remnant according to grace. And that can be said in every time. Every time. And that's the case now. Yeah, you know, I think it goes without saying that our nation is in great spiritual decline. And this is true now as it, as it was true then. God's purpose in the salvation of his people is not hindered one bit. One bit. And what a blessing it is to know that and to believe that. God's purpose of salvation for those he's chosen isn't thwarted 
in any way. That's the divine response. And I, I, I try to remind myself of that all the time. This is what we're concerned about. It doesn't matter what age we live in or what are the circumstance we live in as the people of God. This is where our thoughts are to be directed. God's purposes are being worked out in the redemption of his people perfectly. And part of that purpose of redemption falls upon this poor widow woman of Zarephath. God will send forth his word, send forth his spirit, send forth his power to save his elect from all corners of the world. And he'll preserve them and present them faultless before the throne of grace with exceeding glory. That's how he describes it, with exceeding glory. Well, turn over to chapter 17 there. And then we'll, just giving you that background again to refresh your memories. And let's pick up in verse 8. Verse 8. And look there. And I would like us, as we just read through this story first, I would like us to think of the things that are portrayed to us in this story. I want us to see that this story is about the thoughts and actions which are being conveyed to us by the Holy Spirit. This passage is full of the word of the Lord. It begins that way. Look in verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying. It begins with the word of the Lord. It ends with the word of the Lord. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, then the bin of flour is not used up, nor the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord which Isaiah spoke. It's full of the word of the Lord. This is a passage, too, that's full of faith, simple faith, and simple trust. We find desperate need and abundant provision. We find a simple obedience and a sacrificial generosity. We find a story full of mercy, full of goodness and kindness, a story in the midst of death, unexpectedly full of life. This is a story full of good news, full of hope, a story full of those things which make up the gospel of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's being conveyed to us by the Holy Spirit in this. So think of these things as I read through this well-known story. Verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying to Elijah, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a woman was widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little cup of water that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar, and see. I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. 
And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake for, from it first, and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Now that's a great story, isn't it? See, it begins. See, I have commanded, in verse 8, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. And that's always where salvation begins. It begins with God. Elijah didn't know this widow. And this widow didn't know Elijah. This woman of Zarephath had no knowledge of what the Lord God was going to do for her and for her son. Salvation begins with God. It ends with God and everything in the middle is of God. And we need to remind ourselves of that continuously because there's so many things that are warring against that simple truth. Salvation is of God. But this story makes it so clear, so clear. You know, in keep your place here, but turn over to Psalm 71 and... There's a, a verse there that, that the Lord brought to my attention some time back, and I, I'm sure I've, 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 I've uh, mentioned it to you, but, it, but turn there. Let's just read those few verses. Psalm 71, in the beginning. God commands salvation. God commands salvation. We often don't think about it in that way, do we? But that's what the Word of God tells us. That's the only reason you and I are saved. Because God commanded salvation for you and for me. Listen in verse 1 of Psalm 71. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be my strong refuge to which I may resort continually. You have given the commandment to save me. You are my rock and my fortress. And what a wonder of grace that he ever gave any commandment of salvation, but especially that he gave it to you and to me. God commands Elijah to go to Zarephath to provide for this widow and he commands the widow to provide for Elijah even though she doesn't know it yet. Why will this widow provide for Elijah? Because God has commanded it. That's what did you see what the Lord told Elijah? See, I have go to this widow. Why? See, 
I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Verse 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So Elijah arose in obedience to the Lord. We should always do that. He rose in obedience. Obedience to the command of the Lord, and he goes to Zarephath. He comes to the gate of the city, and who, who's there? Who's there? A widow gathering sticks. He said, the word says, indeed, a widow was there. Now, this is always the way with the word of the Lord. If God has said it, then what will we find? Indeed, it's exactly how the word of the Lord said. It doesn't matter what it is that God has said. Turn anywhere in his word, read what he said, and what can we have an assurance of? Indeed, it is exactly as the Lord said, or it will be exactly as, as his word said. And that's faith, isn't it? That's faith. It's exactly as the word of the Lord said. Why was this woman there at the gate? Because the Lord had commanded her. But did she know this? No, no. All she knew is that she was gathering sticks to cook her last meal for herself and her son. That's all she knew. She had no knowledge of the purpose of God for her. She was unaware of the movement of the Spirit of God bringing her to that exact place and time in which she would meet the prophet of the Lord sent to her and her son to save them, to speak to her the words of life. And Elijah calls to her and he says, please bring me a little cup of water that I may drink. And the woman, despite her terrible circumstances and her hopeless state, put this aside and in kindness goes to get a little water for Elijah. That's amazing, isn't it? That's amazing. The stranger, who is this? Why should I do this? But the Lord has prepared her heart. And she puts this aside and she goes to get it. And as she's going, she sa he says, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Now, all of this are the normal interactions of two real people in a real place, in a real time, facing the adverse circumstances of life. And we see this type of situation portrayed again and again in the Lord's interactions with people all through the New, the New Testament in his life on the earth. And this is so often how the Lord works to save his people. Not through signs and wonders, not through the wisdom of the world, not through spectacular things, but through the simple actions of one person with another. And we see that 
so powerfully portrayed in the life of Christ in his ministry. He went from town to town. That's one of the reasons they despised him. Verse 12, verse 12. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. So in response to this request of Elijah, the woman speaks to him of, of her circumstances. This is what I'm facing. This is where my life is. This poor widow was in great want. She was in dire straits and she'd exhausted all her supplies in the face of this terrible famine. You know, I, I, we, we don't understand, we really do not understand what hunger means in this country and haven't for generations. If you live in a society where you're living off the land, subsistence agriculture, if it doesn't rain for six months, you're in deep, deep trouble. If it doesn't rain for a year, you are in lots of trouble. Think of this. This drought lasted for three and a half years. It's clear that this woman had exhausted everything. There were no means of her obtaining food. In all likelihood, she had family, she had friends, perhaps even some money. But when there's no food, none of that matters. No one has food, and no amount of money can buy food that's not there. As the Lord lives, I do not have any bread. That was her statement. And she's gathering a couple of sticks, she says, that I may go in and prepare it for myself that we may eat it and die. Such a little bit of flour, a handful, and such a little oil that it didn't even require much firewood to cook. Just a couple of sticks. She was gathering these sticks to cook the last meal for herself and her son. Now, think of the heartache and pain, the soul suffering of this woman as she thinks of feeding her son and watching him starve to death and die. That's what was ahead of her. And she herself starving and dying. And the simplicity of this woman's words just emphasize the profound nature of our need. I, I've seen people in desperate straits. And you know, that's how they speak when they speak about the, the straits they're in. Just, they're just simple words. They don't have a big story. They know they're, they're in 
dire straits. All hope has been exhausted, and with this woman there remains only a helpless resignation of the inevitable. Now, why had God sent Elijah to this woman? Think of this. Why had God sent Elijah to this woman? To provide for him throughout the famine. To provide for him throughout the famine. This woman who has nothing. So what will happen? This widow will provide for Elijah. Verse 13. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you, as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. Elijah doesn't doubt for a second. The Lord has told him to come to this widow of Zarephath and that she would provide for him. So Elijah knows that this woman would provide for him for the duration of the, this famine, for the entirety. This is the faith that God gives his people. The faith which believes in the face of circumstances which seem impossible. It can't happen. This is the faith, God-given faith. And, you know, we always think of the faith of Abraham, who's held up before us as the father of all those who believe. And he, he was the same, wasn't he? It, it, we read there that... that uh, of Abraham, who contrary to hope, in hope believed. In other words, there's no reason for him to believe, but he believed anyway. He knew that whatever God had promised, he was able also to perform. And, and this is Elijah. This woman has nothing. She and her son are dying, but she's going to provide for me for the entire duration of this famine. He tells her, do not fear. Do not fear. Go. And he gives her those good words, aren't they? Words of good news. She might not fully realize it yet, but he, he's giving her a message of salvation that God has given him for her. And again, how does Elijah know this? Because God had told him. He says, he had said, Arise, go to Zarephath. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. And the woman hears this good news. Do not fear. The Lord God of Israel has said, The bin of flour shall not be used up, and the jar of oil shall not run dry until the day he sends rain on the earth. Here is a word of life from the dead. And with this good news comes a call to faith. Do you see that? To this woman. Go, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. 
What do you think this woman would think? What do you think this woman would do? Her situation is desperate. This is the last of the last food for herself and her son. And here comes this stranger. She meets him outside the gate. Asks him for, uh, he asks her for some water. And it's in this midst of this great famine. And he comes to her and tells her, go cook the very last bit of flour and oil that you have remaining and give to me first that he may eat and afterwards make some for herself and her son. Now, would she do that? Naturally speaking, you know it would never happen. It would never happen. Can you imagine a mother with the last bit of food literally taking the food from the mouth of her child to feed to some stranger. It would never happen. Never happen. Now what did this widow of Zarephath do? Verse 15. She went away and did according to the word of Elijah. How about that? Why did this woman go and do all that Elijah had told her to do? Because she believed the word of Elijah. She believed the word of Elijah. And in the face of, of all of these circumstances against her believing, she believed in the word of Elijah. By faith, she obeyed and went and did according to the word of Elijah. And what great faith, isn't it? But it's always great faith that God gives to his people because it's not of us, it's of God. But I, of course, we remember that other widow woman with that daughter, the woman of Canaan who came out and she too had a daughter in desperate straits, didn't she? And again, in that situation, it seemed that all circumstances were against her. The disciples were against her. The people were against her. The, the, her daughter was in, in terrible straits, but we know. And, and it seemed too even that the Lord was against her, didn't it? But in spite of all that, she knew that Christ was going to help her. Have you thought about that in terms of that story? If You know, the two people that in that, in that story that were certain that Christ was going to help her, who knew that? It was Christ and the woman. Nobody else did. And, and what did the Lord say of, of her? Oh, woman, great is your faith. And we can certainly say that of this woman of Zarephath as well. The bin of flour. No. But why? Let, let, why did this woman believe? Let's remember again, she believed because the Lord had commanded her. Do you see that? And she and her household ate for many days. How many days? Well, from here, the, the famine lasted for over two, over two years. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry. Here is this woman, and she's given a never-ending supply of flour and oil, a never-ending supply of bread every day 
Think of that. She uses, uses it, returns the next day, there's flour and oil. She uses it, returns the next day, and there is flour and oil for the entire duration of the famine until the Lord sent rain upon the earth. An abundant supply of the bread of life. Why? Because this was the word of the Lord spoken to Elijah by Elijah for this woman of Zarephath. This was the word of truth. This was the word of life. This was the promise of God. And two, think of this. Not only was the word, not bread scarce in those days, but the word of the Lord was scarce in those days in that land. But not for the woman of Zarephath. The word of the Lord dwelt with her in the person of Elijah the prophet, in her house, until the rain once again fell upon the earth. What, what honor, what privilege the Lord demonstrated towards this poor widow. And this, of course, is one of the many wonderful pictures given to us of Christ, the true bread of life. He himself said to the unbelieving nation, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Yes, they can turn away, reject him and despise him, as it was in the time of Elijah. But all that the Father gives me will come to me. Well, let's close then where we began, in, I, in Isaiah. In Isaiah. Turn to Isaiah chapter 49. Jesus was handed the book of Isaiah, you remember, and he opened it and he read from that glorious gospel proclamation which, which is found in Isaiah 61. And he said, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And hearing these words, I have no doubt, they, they knew that these words were in reference to the Messiah. And hearing those words, there were likely many in the synagogue to whose minds would have come another prophecy of the promised Savior, which is found here in Isaiah 49. Look there, Isaiah 49, beginning in verse 8. Thus says the Lord, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages, that you may say to the prisoners, Go forth. And to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed along the roads, and their pastures shall be on all desolate heights. They shall neither hunger nor thirst, neither shall heat nor sun strike them. For he who has mercy on them will lead them. Even by the springs of waters, he will guide them. I will make each of my mountains a road, 
and my highways shall be elevated. Surely these shall come from afar. Look, those from the north and the west, and these from the land of Sinim. Sing, O heavens. Be joyful, O earth, and break out in singing, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy on the afflicted. Amen.